So Easter, as I've been thinking about Easter, my mind has constantly been drawn to the resurrection, the rising of Christ after his death and burial. You know, the story of Jesus and the story of Easter is so rich. You know, we can never plumb the depths of it. God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, as a baby in a manger to become Emmanuel, God with us. He lived as a man in a family with his friends, the disciples. He had an amazing ministry. He spoke truth. He had compassion. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He raised the dead. He endured rejection, beating, betrayal, the agony of the cross, separation from God the Father. And then he conquered death. He rose from death to life. He became the resurrected king to make all things new. So how do we respond to this? How do we respond to this Easter story? How do we respond to Jesus, the resurrected king? And what does it look like to respond to God by living a resurrection life? That's what I've been asking myself. And I thought I would look to the Bible and see how the disciples did it. How did they respond? So if you've got a Bible, we're going to look at um, Luke chapter 24. And this is when Jesus first appears to the disciples after his resurrection. Elaine's going to read it for me, starting at verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they, they, they still did not believe, yet because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in, the name, in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You're witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Thank you, Elaine. So obviously the background, most of us know, but Jesus had been crucified on the Friday next to two criminals. And after suffering horrifically on the cross, he cries out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Joseph of Arimathea asks Pontius Pilate for Jesus' body. He prepares it for burial, and he places it in a tomb cut out of rock. The woman who had come with Jesus from Galilee follow this Joseph and see the tomb and how his body was laid in it. The next day was Saturday, Sabbath. We can hardly imagine what that was like. Their Lord, their Savior, their teacher, their friend, the one they had waited for and hoped for and hoped would redeem Israel was dead. The disciples' lives just must have felt destroyed. Their identity crumbled, all their hope gone. 
So on Sunday, the women go to the tomb and find the stone rolled away, but Jesus' body is not there. And earlier in this chapter, it tells us two men in gleaming clothes appear and ask, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And the woman run back from the tomb to tell the eleven and all the others, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James. But when they run back and tell the disciples, they still don't believe them because their words seem like nonsense. So in the passage that Elaine just read, when Jesus appears, it's not the first time they've heard that. It's not fresh news. Jesus had told them while he was alive, and the woman had been to the tomb and run back and told them, and still they didn't believe it. Also in this chapter, just before this, another two followers have been walking and have met with Jesus. He's explained the scriptures to them. They've broken bread with him. And they've gone back and told the disciples all about it and how they recognized him when they broke bread together. And this is the point when Jesus appears, when they're talking with these two guys who have already seen Jesus. And he appears and he says to them, peace be with you. And I think the funny thing about this is he says to them, peace be with you, and they actually freak out. They're startled and frightened, and they think he's a ghost. They really can't believe their eyes. And he says to them, why are you troubled? Why these doubts in your mind? Can you imagine they cannot comprehend the amazing reality of the resurrection? Jesus has come back to life. He is there in the flesh. He's defeated death. And he's proving to them by showing him his hands and his feet. Think of that week that they had had leading up to that. Palm Sunday, singing Hosanna, praising him, having the Last Supper together, arguing with each other about who's the greatest, falling asleep when Jesus needed them the most, being there when he was arrested, the crucifixion, the devastation and despair. Now Jesus has returned and everything is possible all over again. So today, what is possible because resurrection is true? Resurrection reminds us today that all things are possible. We're forgiven, chains are broken, and despair can turn to hope. You know, we can look at something and think, God can't fix this. There's no way out of this situation. I do not know what to do. And on Good Friday, the disciples and followers of Jesus, they were in the depths of despair. All their hopes and dreams, all that Jesus had said and had undone, just seemed reduced to this brutal death. They were crushed and devastated. And I don't think we'll never understand the agony of the crucifixion, but there are times in our lives too when we also feel crushed and devastated. You know, we lose someone we love. Someone betrays us, a relationship breaks down, an accident, things can change in an instant. Our lives can change so fast. But the resurrection shows us it doesn't have to be the end. New life can come from death. And when Jesus predicts his death in John's Gospel, chapter 12, he says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So you think about that seed being placed into the dark soil. It's buried, it breaks open, and from that new life comes. 
I love how Anne Voskamp writes this. The midwife waits for the babe to turn upside down. The farmer turns over the earth and pushes a seed down so it will grow up. Upside down can be right side up. And maybe the bending and the breaking and everything being upturned is the sign of new life about to break forth. And you know, that's a story throughout scripture. In Ezekiel, the Lord tells him to prophesy to dry bones, to hear the word of the Lord, for breath to enter them. Those dry bones rise up and come to life and form a vast army. In Isaiah, it says the spirit of the sovereign Lord is anointing to bind up brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for captives, comfort those who mourn, bestow beauty for ashes, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And Jesus is the total fulfillment of that. Resurrection is real, and we have the opportunity for new life. And resurrection today can break into our current reality. So a really important question to ask ourselves today is, what parts of our lives need resurrection? And how do we, are we bringing those to God? And how do we bring those to God? You know, on that Good Friday, the disciples were devastated. They just felt like they'd lost everything. Think of all the things they'd seen and done. They proclaimed truth. They'd seen healing, seen demons flee in Jesus' name. They'd done those things. But now their whole identity, their calling, who they were had been wiped out. And they were probably questioning everything and thinking, why did I even, what's these last years been about? Why did I give myself to this? They're hiding away in that locked room afraid, and suddenly Jesus comes and reveals himself to them. He's alive. Resurrection is real. And I think there's some of us today who feel a bit like that. We're in hiding. We're afraid. It feels like we're in a locked room, or maybe some parts of us are locked away. It feels a bit dark. We've got loads of questions. And today, Easter, Jesus is showing up, and he's saying, Peace be with you. Look at my hands and my feet. Because of the cross, because of my sacrifice, resurrection is true and anything is possible again. He's saying, I'm here, I'm here with you. So what does that look like to bring those dark places, those locked away places to God and say, I need new life. I need you, Jesus. I need resurrection. We want beauty to come from ashes, right? But maybe some of us need to acknowledge that the ashes are there. Maybe we need to let some things die or admit that some things are dead. Some of us are looking for life among dead things. And maybe we need to reach out and ask Jesus and ask our friends and church family to help us bury some of those dead things so that new life can come. You know, in the ashes of our lives, a breakup, a business crashing, losing someone, a failure of our own making... Don't hold on to a dead thing when God wants to do a new thing. And what does it look like to resurrect your life in that? You know, I'm not saying today a magic wand is going to come and it's going to make all our circumstances transform. Sometimes resurrection doesn't look how we think it's going to look. You know, it could mean walking away from a difficult relationship. It might mean the path to parenthood looks different to the one that you imagined. Or it might mean saying, Lord, bring life to my marriage, which seems so broken, or to my relationship with my relative who I have not spoken to for a long time. It might mean just saying, God, I, I will wait and I will trust you for something that actually you want right now. We long for healing, 
We're living with the kingdom now and not yet. And sometimes it doesn't come the way we expect. Sometimes we need to say to the Lord, I want your version of resurrection, not mine. And in this last week or so, I've been thinking about this an awful lot um, in relation to a family that Paul and I met when we went to Coleraine and we were at Causeway Coast Vineyard. They're an amazing, warm, welcoming, hospitable family um, called Ivan and Gillian Alcorn and their four grown sons, Mark, David, Brian and Gareth. And in the last couple of years, Ivan's been battling cancer and they have been praying all along for God for healing. And sadly, last week, Ivan passed away. And I was able to watch the funeral because they live streamed it for their friends in different parts of the country and different parts of the world. And I was so moved as each of their four boys, well, they're actually men, stood up to share about their dad. And they said that over the time of his illness, they would ask the Lord for healing. They trusted him completely. And even though healing didn't happen in the form of the cancer going away, he and they continued to trust in Jesus. They were so glad that their dad was in heaven with Jesus and had been given a new body. And what blew me away was David, one of their sons, at the funeral said, I still trust that God can heal, and I still trust that God can heal cancer. And he prayed for people at that funeral who had cancer that God would heal them. But the thing that moved me the most was how each of the four of them shared about their dad's quiet but strong faith, his love for their mom, and how each of them wouldn't be where they were today, journeying with Jesus without their dad, showing them the way and teaching them. And I asked David's permission if I could talk about them today, and I hope he won't mind me saying this. But in their day, those guys were nuts. <laughs> like, they were mental. As teenagers, the stories about them were notorious in Causeway Coast. They were crazy. But they stood up and shared about their dad and his faith and the most precious thing he'd passed on to them. Resurrection maybe didn't look like the way they'd longed it for it along the journey, but they spoke of that hope and that faith and that legacy and the life that had come from their dad. And today, I just felt really prompted to say this, and I'm saying it to me, myself, as much as anyone else. If you're a parent here, I want you to take heart. Like, those guys were crazy. But as adults, they were all bearing testimony to know that their dad had lived out his faith and impacted them. And maybe for some of us today, the area that we want to see resurrection in is for our kids. Maybe it feels dark and you're sad and you don't understand what's happening. You need Jesus to show up and turn things around. But that's the thing. It has to be Jesus. We need Jesus to show up. We need his resurrection and we need him to bring life and hope. And just as I was pondering all this, I came across this from a lady in America who I, I don't even know, but I follow her on Instagram. <laughs> but um, her words penetrated my heart so much, I wanted to read them to you today. She starts off saying mamas, but I'm saying papas too. Mamas, papas, we are not the Holy Spirit. We cannot prick the hearts of our children and cultivate a repentant spirit in them. We cannot draw out rebellion and replace it with surrender or obedience or humility. We cannot soften a heart or create a dependence on Jesus or manipulate the soul into a loving God, into loving God. We cannot mass produce conviction. The only thing we can do is love our kids, point them to Jesus and create space for the Holy Spirit to do his work. 
Jesus is after our mama and papa hearts as much as he's after the hearts of our kids. And all of you, I'm here to tell you that Jesus is forever asking our hearts one thing. Do you trust me with your children? Tonight, I'm in the full throes of wanting to distrust the heart of Jesus. I'm wanting to challenge his plan and question his method for capturing the hearts of my kids. I'm wanting to move into full-on damage control and behavior modification and manipulated repentance. But quite frankly, I'm tired and my kids are getting older and I'm 15 years into this mothering gig and I know my plan won't work. I am not my kids' Holy Spirit. I'm just their mama. And somehow, in this upside-down kingdom, that's enough. And I just felt like some of us need to hear that today. Some of us need to answer that Jesus question. Do you trust me with your children? And then just love them, point them to Jesus and create space for the Holy Spirit to do his work. God gave his son so we could trust him with our sons and daughters. God gave his son so we could trust him with our sons and daughters. And as Anne Voskamp says, I am totally preaching the gospel to myself here. You know, I get the privilege of talking to people all the time in my job. And some of them, some of you guys, you're facing really tough things. Things that are only your story to share. And so many times after I've gone away and I've left those conversations, I feel blessed even though what you've shared and what you're going through is hard because what I see is people looking for resurrection. It can feel like Good Friday. It can feel like you're in the darkest place. It can feel like you don't understand why this is happening to you. But you choose to say, because I believe in Jesus, because he has been faithful to me in the past, because I read his word and I see the disciples' fear and unbelief turn to joy and amazement, because I know they received the Holy Spirit and became his witnesses, and I have that same spirit. Although I don't understand and I don't see, and it feels dark and I'm afraid, I trust that resurrection is coming and it's going to break through. And I became captivated by this question about resurrection, because isn't it the point to not merely raise hands and celebrate his resurrection power, but to turn our feet and walk in it. You know, I was thinking about this service and Easter, and we're here to celebrate resurrection. Yes, we're here to celebrate resurrection, but we need to turn our feet and walk in resurrection. And the beautiful thing is it's him. It's his resurrection power. I've been listening to this Elevation Worship song that says, From the ashes I will rise to declare your victory. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. You don't have to do it yourself. It's Jesus. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. He meets the disciples. He opens their eyes and their minds, and he does that for us too as we spend time with him. So what does it look like not just to celebrate it on Easter Sunday? What does it look like on Easter Monday, Easter Tuesday, Wednesday, the next day, and the next day? It's that intimacy with Jesus. It's walking with him. It's receiving that power through the Holy Spirit that he promised. It's giving permission for that resurrected king to resurrect us. It's letting that seed be buried and pushed down to be broken open for new life to come. I love these words. Sun's rising after Resurrection Sunday on a Monday world where everything's changed. Easter Monday faith believes that in impossible darks, impossible light sparks. 
Easter Monday faith believes that the tomb places of our life are but womb places for new life. Easter Monday faith believes that Christ tenderly takes our doubts and says, touch my scars. This faith believes in stones that roll, in grave clothes that fall, and in Easter people who sing hard hallelujahs because we believe in resurrections always coming. Easter Sunday today, we want to celebrate communion together. And we read this um, about Jesus at the Last Supper shortly before his death. He took bread, he gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And this morning we do likewise in remembrance of him. We read, Elaine read this for us earlier, Luke chapter 24, 30 to 31. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. The disciples saw the resurrected Jesus, and it was when he was round the table with them and broke bread that they actually saw and recognized who he was. And if you read the scriptures, loads of the resurrection appearances with Jesus are around the table. What Andy and Andrea were sharing last week about hospitality, it's around the table that we meet with one another and we can meet with Jesus. You know, the disciples had the scriptures explained to them many times while Jesus was alive and when he, he was resurrected. But it was actually sitting with him, breaking bread with him, and listening to him that their eyes were opened and they truly knew him and his resurrection and his hope. And it's the same for us today. You know, we could have had scripture explained to us a million times, but it's being in the presence of Jesus that we truly know this resurrection hope. And this morning, as we break bread together, I believe that some of you are going to experience Jesus in a new way. Your eyes are going to be opened and you're really going to see him and his resurrection hope.